Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, here we are. We're just a week and a day from yeah. Christmas Day. That's hard to believe. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, the year has gone by so quickly. I don't know. You got your shopping done? No, but, you know, we, we got our decorations up. I mean, that was pretty early <laughs> yeah. for us. You got plenty of time to well, do we shopping. Had a, right? We had a big party at our house this week, Did and you? so I had to do it all early. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I got the lights up all outside, and, you know, I mean, it looks, I got the most lights I've ever had up. Really? I need to come by there. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. we're like, Take some pictures. I was telling Kathy, you know, we look kind of like a... A uh, gypsy fish camp yeah. or something out there, you know. <laughs> so, so, Christmas vacation, right? I'm telling you. So. <laughs> I watched that movie last night with some friends. That was, uh, it's always funny. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. love that movie. It really is, really is. But yeah, we're winding it down here. And, you know, a lot of a lot of good things going on. Um, You know, for sports, we ought to mention my Tigers. I mean, yeah. we won the... The soccer men's national, national champion. Yeah, that was that. a big win. Uh, Crazy, you know, considering you know football's not going to be there. You got to root for something, it's right? A different type football. Yeah, you know? I it mean, is some a people, different. It's type, their yeah. favorite type. So, and I'm, hey. I'm following the South Carolina women's basketball. Number one, uh, undisputed yeah. right now. They they're, have a great team. Yeah, but, they're uh, incredible. They, yeah, they really it is are. fun. We we can support different. Um, you know, different, different venues. Teams. Yes. Yeah, when yeah. when not when just our, about football. When the football's not there. Georgia's still got their hopes. Yeah, so, they, you know, do. They, they, can, they got do. another bite at the apple That's there right. coming up. But uh, speaking of, you know, uh, uh, just good topics here. I mean, we have a couple things here that are really great topics. One of them is seven pandemic car buying strategies. Mm, that's changed. You know, boy, it has. I mean, you know, buying a car nowadays is tough. I mean, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack and. You know, I mean, you you got to really pull out your wallet. <clears throat> you know, so we we got some strategies to help temper that. Yes. You know, if it's time for you to buy a car, if you put it off for a year and a half, and you're we're still into this, um, we got some ideas for you that might help ease the pain. Yeah, and then we've got a topic um, which is really interesting. I, I really like this. It talks about what is in your estate. Uh, we have you know questions all the time. Am I going to have to pay taxes when I pass away? And um, the the estate is different for for different um, purposes. And we're going to go into some detail on that. But um, you know the estate tax is only uh, applicable when your estate is over a certain amount. But then you have probate as well. So we're going to right. go through the differences and kind of talk about some things that you should uh, take a look at and be concerned about um, from an estate planning standpoint. Yeah, that's good. That's a very confusing topic. So I it think that would be yeah. great for people to listen to that and, and just get a little clarity on what those different terms mean. So very good. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years of experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 29 years. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have uh, the podcast out there. You can go listen to the historical ones. And Steve, it's, 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 I go back and actually listen to the ones from uh, April, uh, March and April of 2020. 
yeah. just to kind of refresh to see where we were. And, um, you know, so if you haven't listened to those, go, go check it out. It's kind of interesting to see the times that we were in. Yeah, it's shocking um, how much it's changed in just a year and a half. Yeah, ago. it really is. So that we have podcasts. We also have a lot of other tools out there. And we also have a Facebook page, MoneyMD. We put a prescription of the week out there every week. So you can see us in person, and we rotate that. So uh, it's fun to take a look at that. Yeah, exactly. We'll work start off here with our financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is interesting. Two of the uh, the larger uh, brokerage firms put out their predictions, Steve, for 2022, and, and these are always fun because no one knows, right? I mean, there's no you can't predict right. what the markets are going to do, but they do it anyway. And uh, Morgan Stanley predicted um, that the S and P would actually fall by about 5%, roughly. And um, hmm. Goldman Sachs went the opposite direction. They said the stock market was going to rise by 10%. So one big firm says minus go. 5, the other one says, you know, positive 10. Who knows, right? I mean, Well, and it just shows the futility of trying to predict it. I mean, it's just yeah. totally, there was two major firms here totally opposite projections. Yeah, so don't, I mean, the takeaway is, is don't make decisions based on headlines and predictions. Uh, I mean, we even see it, we see it daily. Um, you know, they're talking about the the Federal Reserve, you know, you know, doing monetary policy and trying to predict that or trying to predict what's going to happen in the pandemic. It just, it doesn't work. Um, the stats show that the the professionals that do these predictions are wrong about half the time. So flip a coin. Exactly. Just don't make decisions based on these headlines. No, you can't. You can't predict it. You really got to position yourself for the long term in a risk level that you're comfortable with so you can ride out these ups and downs yep. because they're unpredictable. And if you try to time it, you will hurt yourself. Trust us. You will hurt yourself. We've seen it time, time. and again. Oh, yes. A lot, a lot of time examples. Again. <clears throat> well, that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the seven pandemic car buying strategies. Um, this is based on an article very recently from MoneyWise. Um, but, John, yeah, if you haven't shopped for a car lately, you might not realize how prices of new and used vehicles have surged to record highs in this pandemic. Um, but not only that, I mean, but the car you're looking to buy might not even be available for, you know, six months. Mm-hmm. In fact, the average sales price for a new car has jumped for the seventh straight month in October to a record $46,000 wow. for a new car, according to Kelly Blue Book Report. That's a 12.9% increase year over year. Um, so in this climate, I mean, buyers are no longer able to haggle down prices at all. Um, they're, you know, in fact, they're paying an average of $800 over hmm. the sticker price. Um and sometimes bidders are getting into like a bidding war with one another. Wow! Over cars sounds like the housing market. It's kind of like bit, the housing yeah. market. Yep. It is. It's just. It's insane. It really is. Um, so the supply of new vehicles has plunged. You know, amid this unrelenting supply backlog problems that they've had, um, and resurgent demand. So you pay sticker price for many of the cars, and you wait months for that privilege to do that. And inventories are less than a third of what they were before the pandemic. Wow. That's so, yeah, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, supply demand. I, I mean, used car prices are very similar, um, you know, to the to the new car. The average list price on a used car um, was a record almost $27,000 in October. And that's 25% above a year ago. And Steve, is 38% above pre-pandemic levels. I mean, that's a massive jump. So buyers who are braving the market... Um, 
Warren, the experience is not for the faint of heart. I mean, they're, you know, people trying to find used cars less than 100,000 miles, less than 15 um, grand is like finding a, a needle in a haystack. It's very difficult. Two years ago, a $15,000 budget was enough to get something, you know, from like 2016, a couple years old with less than 60,000 miles. But you can't find those deals today. I mean, it's 38% yeah. pre-pandemic. That's a that's a massive jump. <clears throat> yeah, nowhere close to that today. I mean, so... You know, what's what's happened through the pandemic is the question. Well, before the pandemic, I mean, people didn't talk much about the microchips that run the electrical systems in the modern car. Now they're kind of front and center. I mean, automakers closed down their factory when the pandemic hit while Americans stayed home, increasing the demand for consumer electronics like tablets and laptops and gaming devices. So when the economy started to revive, Car makers couldn't get enough of the chips to meet their production demand. Microchip plant closures further restricted the supply. Some dealers even cutting back on the popular features such as, you know, uh, heated seats and steering wheel, heated steering wheels. Um, And they switched, you know, turned off those luxuries because they couldn't get the switches and the chips to to maintain that supply. Um, And that still hasn't solved the problem. Yeah. You know, the days of stepping into a car lot and having your pick of the make, model, and color and then haggling over the price, for the moment at least, is gone. Yes. You know, that's over. And, you know, discounts, you can forget about those. You know, I mean, industry experts say new car inventory is expected to remain tight through at least the first half of next year. Um, So what are you to do? I mean, you know, if you absolutely have to buy a car in this market, what are you going to do to help avoid just getting fleeced on it, you know? So there are a few strategies though that can help. So don't lose heart. Um, Instead, get prepared with a strategy. So here are seven strategies that will help you avoid the new car fleecing and avoid the headache that comes in the process. Yeah. So instead of a new, new car, I mean, you know, maybe you look at a used car. Um, you know, it, we just talked about those prices are up as well, but not, it's not going to be as expensive as, as a new car. So if you expand your search, uh, maybe you, you look at different makes and models uh, beyond what you normally would would desire. So some models and 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 makes are are more reasonably priced, but the uh, popular models are going to be difficult to get um, for for less than um, you know for less than new. So used car is still expensive, but it's going to be less expensive than a new car. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> that's right. And be prepared. I mean, know exactly what you're walking into, um, so you don't run screaming when you see the ticket price. And do your shopping online as much as possible. You know, when you do venture into the dealership, you have to already know exactly what you want and how much you're willing to pay for it. You know, so check out their inventory online so that you know every model that they have that you might be interested in and how much you're willing to pay for those models. And, you know, this is no time to be making decisions on the fly. Um, So that's critical to kind of do your homework, be prepared. And then shop outside of your neighborhood as well. You know, if you live in within a, in a city that has a higher cost of living and your local dealership has a limited selection of cars, see what's for sale in a nearby city or county. In fact, I mean, you're, you're likely to have, have to think far beyond your normal town to get a decent deal nowadays. So when supplies get tight, you often have to, to get a better price, you're going to have to go to a big city where there's more competition. So look maybe inside maybe 200 miles 
um, to really expand your search and to take advantage of the more competitive markets that are out there. Yeah, you got number four here, you have to be flexible. I mean, don't head into the process with one car model and, and one color in mind. Um, you know, it's just going to slow down the process and you're probably not going to be able to find exactly what you want. So, you know, if you buy something that's not ideal, you can always sell a vehicle a year or two, you know, down the road. Um, but having multiple brands and models in mind, when you go out there, will give you a lot more room to find a car in your budget. So you got to be flexible. You know, if you're looking at the most popular brands or models or colors, um, you know, the supply is limited. So, uh, you know, and if you do find one, it's going to be much more expensive. So just be flexible. Yeah, that's right. Another idea here, <clears throat> I mean, if you have a lease, you know, buying out your lease isn't a bad idea. You know, if you've been leasing contracts up this year, consider buying it out or extending the lease. Um, if you're looking for a car, leasing may be a cheaper monthly payment than buying a new car in today's market. So it might be a good temporary solution. And since a lease isn't, is, is a much shorter commitment than a purchase, you can explore other makes and models that you might not be able to consider otherwise. Um, and then, you know, the, the sixth one here, John, is to be patient. You know, nearly half of car shoppers are delaying their purchase, according to Blue Book, Kelly Blue Book. Um, and while no one can say exactly when the supply and demand will come back into balance, if you can wait to buy a car, it might serve you well in the long run um, to do that sh should the market begin to cool off. Either way, though, the objective today is simply to get a vehicle that gets you where you need to go. Um, and you can worry about trading up when things settle down in a year or two. So be very patient in this process. Yeah, at some point it is going to balance out, right? Right. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Geraldine and the housing market. At some point it is going to get back to a normal uh, market. And, and the last one here is um, use your trade-in to help offset the high prices. So, you, you know, leverage the rising value of your existing vehicle to trade up to a new one. Um, and that might mean selling it yourself. So don't fall for the confusing trade-in math where you get easily, you know, confused and, and don't really get a good value for your trade-in. So simply sell it yourself. Um, make sure you get full retail or at least private party value for your existing car. So make sure you, you're, you're maximizing that to help reduce the total cost. Exactly. Exactly. And that's true in any, any market. Yeah. So yeah, just remember the old saying, you know, the most economical car that you'll drive in the future is the one you're driving today. Um, you know, that saying could never be more true today. So it's a tough time to be trading or buying a new car. But if you follow these basic seven of principles, you know, it's going to give you a much better chance of getting a vehicle close to the price point that you're targeting and avoiding some of the headaches in the process. Yep. So, all right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this has to do with um, uh, college savings. Uh, should I open separate 529 accounts for my kids or can I just open one? So a 529 okay. is a way to save for, for kids or grandkids uh, for college. It goes in there uh, state-sponsored. Um, in South Carolina and Georgia, there are some tax uh, benefits, right? If you put right. money in, if right. you're a resident of the state, so um, so I know in, in South Carolina you can you can put two, chill, you can open up the application and have two kids on the application. But the 529 right. is is for one person. Now, if, if if that person doesn't use it, it can go to another, you know, child or family member. So yeah. there's some flexibility. But you're, you're generally going to have an account for each kid. You can't have one account um, with multiple right. kids. You know, it's tracked by social security number, basically. Right, right. Now, I have seen parents that had kids really well, really well spaced out, 
where they would have the oldest one would have a 529 plan and they would just convert it after the oldest one finished college they convert it to, yeah. the, to the middle one you yeah know? so you can change the the beneficiary on the account and that works well but yeah if they're going to be in the college at the same time you pretty much have to have separate accounts that's what i did for my kids and and it worked well they had a little bit of money left over and you know it's still in their names but you can change it just keep that money and change it to grandchildren mm-hmm. you know down the road yeah. so uh, it's, it doesn't really cost anything more to have separate accounts. So you might as well have separate accounts. Yeah, for the I agree. So great question of the week. And that leads up here to our next to- topic. And that is, um, <clears throat> um, well, estate what, planning. What What is what is my estate? What yeah. does that really mean? Yeah, right? what's included in there? That's an important question um, because the answer could tell you, you know, whether you need to worry about estate taxes, beneficiary issues, or even probate concerns as well. So this this article came out of Kiplinger, uh, Steve, Steve Parrish, uh, who's an estate planner and has been for over 40 years. And he's frequently asked the question, we are too as well, um, you know, what's, in, what's included in my estate? And, you know, you have different assets, you have life insurance and real estate. Um, so then rather than giving a standard answer of it depends, um, you really have to define what estate means because it, it means different things in different circumstances. And that's what we're going to cover here. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when you die, your estate can have different meanings for different purposes. You know, it can be your gross estate for federal estate tax purposes. It might be your probate estate if you're concerned about what actually goes through probate and gets charged a probate fee. Or you may be thinking in terms of, you know, whether the assets will be available as part of your estate to pass on to your heirs. And that's another whole meaning. Um, so which aspect of your state are you focused on? And that will help answer the, the, that question. Yeah. So the difference, we're going to go through the difference between the federal estate um, meaning versus probate. So let's look at life insurance. Let's say you buy a $500,000 policy, uh, life insurance policy, and let's say you name your your daughter as the beneficiary. So assuming you own the policy when you die, the entire $500,000 death benefit will be included in your gross estate for purposes of the federal estate tax. Now, that's a big number. That estate, if it's over, um, it's about $12 million in 2022. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the entire death benefit over that exemption is subject to a 40% federal tax. So, I mean, when people are concerned about taxes um, when they pass away, unless your estate's over $12 million, you're not going to be subject to that. So, if that 500000 puts you over the limit, then that's 40% tax. But if you're talking about a state, you know, if you're looking at the policy, uh, would it be included in the probate estate? The answer is no. N- none of the proceeds from your life insurance are subject to probate, and that's because the death benefit passes, you know, by by contract it is not considered a probate asset. It goes directly to your daughter. So, uh, you know, it's in your federal estate, but from a probate standpoint, there's nothing to do, and there's no additional cost because it it has the right beneficiary on there. Yeah, that's right. And, and finally, so if you're asking whether the policy is an estate asset in the sense that it'll be available for your heirs um, or, or creditors, taxing authority um, and the like, the answer is a little more nuanced. You know, since you've named your daughters the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, the estate can't use the proceeds for fulfilling, you know, a bequest to, to others in the estate. So, um, so no, if your life insurance policy is left to a specific beneficiary, then it's going to be for that person and it's not going to be available for your general estate. Um, and even if you disowned your daughter and changed your will to pass, um, 
your wealth down to other children. The life insurance policy is a contract. So unless you've named a new beneficiary, the money's still going to your daughter. Yeah, regardless of, of really what your will say. I mean, you know, if, if you have a beneficiary and he goes directly to them, it's their money. Now, um, whether those proceeds can be diverted to pay creditors, you know, taxes or maybe other estate obligation, it really depends on how the last will and testament allocates the payment of ex- estate expenses. So your daughter still receives the 500000 from insurance company. Um, but in your will, you can direct that her share of the probate estate be reduced to reflect her share of cost associated with probate. So you know, this assumes that your probate estate has enough money to pay these obligations. Otherwise, you know, some of the 500000 insurance proceeds could conceivably be tapped to pay taxes. So the IRS has numerous means to collect you know, its share of estate costs, even from beneficiaries. So, so generally... It, like you said, it's a contract, so 500000 would go to your your um, your daughter in this situation, and it, it does depend on how the, the will is written, but for the most part, that's going to be their money, and it's going to be outside of the entire process. So also, you know, what state you live in makes a difference as well. So, you know, in figuring out what you mean by what's in my estate, you not only have to define the term, you know, federal versus probate, but you also have to identify where you call home um, or where you're domiciled. So there are nine community property states, and um, Georgia and South Carolina are not on this list. But assets in these states are treated differently for estate tax purposes than property owned by married couples who live in common law jurisdictions. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. And also, you know, in most states, real estate like your property is held in a on a simple fee basis, what they call it, which means that death it's transferred through your probate estate, it's transferred through your will, um, and you know in some states though they do have an alternative that allows you to list your property as TOD, which is transfer on death, which is essentially naming a beneficiary on your account, mm-hmm. and that allows you to leave it directly to another person. Uh, upon your death and not go through probate. Um, so if this is, <clears throat> I know this is a lot of legal speak, but, you know, in basic, in, in, in a sense, it makes a big difference because it allows you to list your property and avoid probate where probate, you know, can cost anywhere from 2 to 6%, um, depending on, you know, what state you live in. So you just want to make sure that you have your assets listed as efficiently as possible. And if yeah. you got the TOD option, I suggest you use it. Yeah, and I, I will say that um, my, my grandmother went through um, probate in South Carolina. She passed away a couple of years ago, and we calculated the cost, and it was about a percent. It's pretty low so in it South Carolina is, and Georgia. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's not It's not, It's not. not anywhere close to, to you know 5 or 6%. It's pretty low. The other thing people do a lot of times with real estate and you know assets is they'll put it in a trust, and mm-hmm. so that trust then bypasses probate as well. But, uh, you know, there's different reasons to use trust, and that's a separate discussion for a different day. But um, that transfer on, on death, if you can do that, that's, that's certainly helpful. So the bottom line is, you know, the moral of the story is, um, you know, what you're asking, you have to understand the different terminology, federal versus probate. And if you're worried about estate taxes, um, the question to ask is whether the asset is in your gross estate. Presumably, you're asking because you're wondering if there's a way to avoid, um, you know, paying taxes, uh, you know, on that. So there's some ways of gifting that that you can do to try to lower that. So if you're concerned about the costs of probate, the question is ask how can you remove assets from the probate? And uh, an example we just talked about is transferring property to a living trust. And the, and the final one is will it be in my estate? And you're asking that whether an asset will be available to pass on to an heir. 
Um, so we would certainly recommend that you work with attorneys in this area. We've got great attorneys locally that can help you in your specific situation. Um, we get asked a lot, are, are trusts necessary and needed? In some cases they are, in some cases they're not. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> but interesting, you know, most people are not going to pay a state taxes from a federal standpoint because that 12 million limit not many people fall over that so so generally the answer is going to be no on that but there could be some probate costs which are much less right and there's some talk of lowering that limit you know um but it nobody's really talking about lowering it way down they were talking about in this build back better bill of lowering it roughly in half yeah um where it'd still be five and a half million dollars per person still be like 11 million dollars per couple you know, so that that rules, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of people out of having to worry about estate taxes. So you're not really worried about estate taxes with estate planning for most people. What you're really worried about is is avoiding probate to avoid the cost and the, the time consuming process that's involved with probate um, and then also avoiding income taxes, mm-hmm. you know, where possible. Um, so you just want to make sure your assets are structured to go where you want them to go in the most efficient manner possible. And I think listing beneficiaries is the simplest tool. It is. Yeah, and listing TOD, anywhere you can list TOD, you should list TOD. Yeah, or P- POD, <clears throat> payable on death, right. transfer on death. Right. Which really goes right into our prescription of the week, and, and that is you know, make sure your beneficiaries on your accounts are going where you want them to go because right. you, the, the beneficiaries um, happen before the will. So... In the life insurance case we were talking about, or if you have IRAs or 401ks, that money is dispersed out before the will even comes into play. So, uh, you know, whatever your will says is going to be superseded by by the beneficiaries. So make sure you understand the beneficiaries, um, you know, work with a, a lawyer on that. Um, we certainly help and guide people in this area. But, um, you know, leaving your, your beneficiaries as your estate can be dangerous. Um, there's some tax yeah, issues that's, associated that's, with that. It's a bad move. Usually. Yeah. So you, you want to spend some time on this. This is a, this would be a great time <clears throat> at the end of the year to take a look at all this. I mean, we see blended families with, um, with questions on beneficiaries and it's something you have to talk about. And it's not a, an exact answer for every single, family out there. So spend some time on it. Um, it is important because it is law. <laughs> when right. someone comes in here, when someone right. passes away, we look at the beneficiaries and that's where the money's going. And, and I'll add one caveat to this too, that's a, a technicality, but I see we see some people doing this nowadays, trying to list their, their trust as the beneficiary to their IRA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can work fine. Um, it complicates the process a little more. But your trust has to be set up as a, as what they call a see-through trust yep. that specifically names the beneficiaries in the trust document, can't be changed by your surviving spouse or, or trustee. Um, so there's some technicalities there. You want to make sure that that's not done without a lot of careful consideration and that the attorneys are not involved with that because it's got to be specifically set up to handle yep. an IRA money. And I'll say if your <clears throat> trust has two beneficiaries and the money just goes to them in the trust, why not just use There's no the, sense. the kids or whoever yeah. you're giving it to in the trust and put them as beneficiaries because it simplifies the process tremendously um, on right. the front end of it. So Right. So it's usually not a not a beneficial yep. thing to do anyway. Yep. So all right, there you go. Well that has it for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net or send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call directly at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 
888-888-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.